Well, welcome to this week's edition of the Archives of Disease in Childhood podcast. And it's this time it's the turn of Archives of Disease in Childhood Education and Practice edition. And this is our October epistle. So as edition editor, I get to bask in the reflected glory of my section editors. I remember reading once many years ago that when Bill Gates perceived that he'd passed the peak of his programming skills, he took care to surround himself with smart and clever people. I would struggle to draw any valid comparison between myself and Bill Gates, but this strategy does strike me as a very good one. It does make me a little nervous, though, because my section editors do, mostly, know more than me, and are very good at creating commissions that I had not thought of. A good example of this is Sam Bajati's work in the interpretation section. When we developed interpretations some time ago, I thought of it a little bit like British National Formulary for Tests. After all, if we can have nationally or internationally determined ways presented in reproducible monographs for each of the medicines that we use, shouldn't we have the same for tests we use? Part of me thought that after a while we might even bundle some of, together some of these tests into a British National Compendium of Tests, one of many bright ideas that I've had that never went much further. So I always get a little nervous when Sam commissions on a test that I've been dismissive of or have stopped using. I was quite pleased when, over the last few years, my referrals of children who had had perhaps anaphylaxis stopped having Marcel tests included because I never knew how to use it. It didn't seem to change what I thought I should be doing whenever I did try to use it. It was with trepidation then that I read the interpretation on Marcel tests and I concluded, well, I'm not going to tell you that, am I? Spoilers and all. If you really need a shortcut, take a look at the boxes in the paper. When Philippa Prentice joined the education and practice team, we had some good conversations about what area she might cover in her guideline section. We strongly agreed on quite a few things. Firstly, we reckoned that most paediatricians would feel guilty about not having read every relevant guideline in detail, despite the near universal recognition that to do so would take more time than we have in the day job. We also agreed that ordinarily we didn't want the guideline author to write the review. We had some discussion about the level of critical appraisal we should include, with the conclusion that our reviews should be neither sycophantic love letters, nor should they be a place where axes were ground. We also agreed that the constraint of having papers in a journal, the fact that we only allow a couple of pages where many guidelines run to tens or hundreds of pages, should become a virtue in order to give us brief, focused, readable articles. Until this issue, however, it never occurred to me that a guideline from the General Medical Council, the regulatory and licensing body for doctors in the UK, would sort this format. But again, by having cleverer people than me around, Philippa has commissioned an excellent paper on the guideline on candour. There are lots of good summaries of this guideline, but this one is excellent and is my editor's choice this month. I'm slightly running out of time here, but there are two more section editors I'd like you to know about. The first is Mark Tye who takes light relief from handling all images articles in the blue archives of disease in childhood to edit our epilogue section. For obvious reasons, I'm not describing the articles in this edition, but it gives the authors of all skills and backgrounds such tremendous support in getting their paper into print. Believe me, if you've had an interesting clinical experience with good images or data, and if you can't get it into print with Mark's help, then I genuinely think that you may be beyond any help. And lastly here, I'd like to mention John Apps, who, with Bob Phillips, edits the research and practice section. John's academic background and apparently endless fascination with the extraordinary things that folk are doing out there in research means that he's always bringing to my attention things which I have trouble distinguishing from science fiction. 
There are great examples of both Mark and John's papers in this edition. Now to close, two caveats. The first is to emphasise that I'm just highlighting a few of my section editors here. The fact that there are some that I haven't mentioned should not be taken as any hint of my having lukewarm feelings about them. Sincerely, they're all great. The second is, you know when in a novel you get to the acknowledgement section and the author always thanks people who've helped but emphasising that any remaining errors are his or her own? That. As ever, I'm very happy to hear from you and I'll be happy to put you in touch with this lovely band of folk if you have an idea that the world needs to hear more about. The other thing I was just going to mention is if you'd like us to come and talk with you and you can play our travel expenses and give us enough notice, for me or any one of my section editors would be happy to do so. Be lovely to hear from you, but for now, please dig out your copy of Archives Education and Practice and read it and let us know what you think.